you may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. You know, I would like to say it's a long year, hopefully done with COVID, now Delta stuff, I don't know, but people are actually starting to come up for air. And we know people have suffered financially, physically, mentally, and everyone had to find their own way out or are still doing that. Sherry Wallach has just published her memoir on her way out, I guess. It's funny and quite eye-opening. As Sherry lets us into her life and, for those who like, and some very interesting challah recipes. Uh, Sherry Wallach is the author of From Hell to Challah, Rising from Fragile to Fearless, One Grain at a Time. Sherry, how are you today? Awesome. Oh, I love that answer. That's like one of my answers. I, I just told somebody before, it's like the same joke. You go online um, at the cashier and they say, oh, how are you today? And you say, awesome or amazing. And they look at you like you fell from the moon. Like, what's wrong with you? But uh, yeah, awesome is great. So before we even get started, who is Sherry Wallach? Ooh, oh, God, where do you want to begin? Well, first, I have two children. So I'm a mom. I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I've been in business and worked for cruise lines for years. And then circumstances happened after 9-11, actually. And I got kind of kicked into running my own business, which is called By the Sea. We do incentive travel. And I, I'm just a jack of all trades. I, I never was really a baker. That's not why I wrote the book. It's just that I got really depressed at looking when I looked at what was going on in the industry. And I had to find something to really stop myself from spiraling any further downward. So I guess I became an accidental baker and then an accidental author. And, you know, there's, there's some good accidents, I guess. So I, I'm a native New Yorker. I was born in the Bronx. I grew up on Long Island. I live part-time now in New York City, and my, my main home is, is in Florida, where I have this business by the sea, which is by the biggest cruise port in the world, Port Everglades, because I'm always in touch with my, my cruisies, so I need to be there. I guess that's it in a nutshell. I think so. First of all, I like the Bronx. I grew up in, well, first of all, I grew up in upstate New York. But- where? Where? A little hick town called Hornell, New York, 33 on the thruway. All right. It was a Jewish town, but very short-lived and uh, no schools there. So we moved down to Muncie, which is pretty much off the bridge. Muncie, Jewish heaven. See, well. Yeah, I know it. See, of course you know it. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) I actually have a son who lives in Florida, but he's in North Miami Beach. So I don't know he knows from cruises. But that's okay. That's okay. That's good. That's not far from me. Not too far. And of all things, with this, with, with, with Corona, of all businesses to be in cruise lines would probably not be one of the um, ones I would pick to want to be in during a pandemic, mm. for sure or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, here's the first thing I need to know. Before we talk about the book, 
Um, I like the title. I would like to know how you came up with this title. It doesn't like rhyme exactly. It's nope. again, it's from Hell to Chala. So again, I get the rising. I get that. I'm good with puns. From fragile to fearless, one grain at a time. I get that. But okay. why did you pick the title? Why? Okay. So I didn't intend to write a book. I met up with a friend who coincidentally owns a speaker's bureau. And I said, I'd love to go on the speaker circuit. She said, well, before you can do that, you need a book. She goes, why don't you write the story of what happened to you? And I was like, kind of hesitant. And then I said to her, what do I call the book? She's like, well, what would you call a book that's kind of about baking and kind of about depression and whatever? I said, what about, what about flower power? And she's like, you sound like a hippie baker. That is not a good title. Try again. And I, she said, Hala should be in the title. Or as you say, Hala. I love the way you say that. Say it to me. Hala. Hala. I love it. So, um, so she said that should be in the title because if people book you to speak, they're going to say, we want the Hala lady. They're not going to remember your name, but they remember the Hala part. And I thought, well, what would I call it? And then I really thought about what the journey was for me. And I really, truly started out in hell. And for me, Hala is a symbolism for happy. It's not about the bread. It's about getting to your happy place. And for me, Hala was my happy place because baking it brought me joy and brought me out of my depression. And it gave me something to do for people. Who doesn't want a Hala, right? Oh, so, everybody. <laughs> and mine are crazy. Mine aren't just regular Hala. They're like chocolate chip and, and full of nuts and seeds and flavors and truffle salt and all kinds of stuff. So... That's why the title, and it just was catchy, and it was it had the alliteration of the H, you know, the Hell to Hala. It just did it for me. That's it. I love it. I, love, I just like, it's just such a different title. When you look at it, you, you sort of like stop, at least I do for a second, and say, okay, what is this book going to be about? And I actually read it pretty quickly, unlike other books that are in my bathroom that take a little bit longer to read. They're a little more boring. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Now, I actually thought when I read the book that you were actually writing it um, to help you with, um, if you use the word depression, I didn't use that word, but you were actually trying to write something to help you work your way through what was going on, and then you just turned it into the book. Is that what right. happened? or? Yeah. yeah, I wasn't writing a book. I, was, I really, really wasn't. I, I was barely keeping a journal. And I had all these stories of all of these places and all of the people, and it just, it became a tra kind of a travel log. And then I had some mentors who said, you really need to dig into why you have such anxiety. What is it about your past and who you are that gives you such like surus all the time? Like, what is it? What's why? So um, I started adding in, you read the part, you know, the things that happened to me in my childhood, my some of my relatives and stuff like that. <clears throat> and I wrote it to help myself. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, if this helps me to find my happy place, maybe it will help other people find theirs. And their challah might be gardening, might be knitting, might be singing, might be, you know, uh, whatever it could be. So for everyone, there is a challah. Mine happens to actually be challah, but for other people, it might be something else. But we all have that inside of us and we have to learn to, when there's a crisis, when there's sadness, when there's anxiety in your life, you have to be able to look inside yourself and dig down and find what is that that I can just focus on even for just a little bit to get me out of this pickle that I'm in. And that's that's why. Yeah, I love it. It's, 
you know, this is such a good conversation because my last interview was all about self-care and finding what works for you. And here we, and I was asking him, how, does, how do people know what works? And here we are talking and challah works. So I just well, find that people were baking bread. You know, in the pandemic, so many people baked so much bread that stores were running out of flour. You couldn't get flour anywhere. And, and for me, I wasn't even thinking that. I just, the way it really started was I went to visit my cousins. He's Jewish, she's Christian. So the kids are Christian-ish, well, Christian-y, and there's five of them. And the kids wanted to do something with me, but what do I know? I mean, my kids are 23 and 25. I didn't even know where to begin, but food is the great connector. And I said to the kids, how about we bake challah? And these little faces looked up to me and they said, what is that? And I thought, oh boy, <laughs> not only aren't they Jewish, they're really not Jewish. I have to teach them the art of challah. So I did. And then they're like, well, you know, they call me aunt cousin Shari because I'm really their cousin, but I'm so much older that they couldn't wrap their arms around it. So, you know, aunt cousin Shari, can you bake us another challah? And I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to do? You want to make it pink, purple, unicorn, coconut. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started doing it with them and they helped me get out of this funk. And then everywhere I went after that, I'm like, hey, let's have challah. So we were, you, you read, we were with the Mormons. I was making the Mormons challah, you know, it, and it became kind of a kitschy thing to hang out with complete total Gentiles who didn't know a single Jewish food. And then it went from challah to brisket to blintzes to matzo balls to, you know, falafel and every other Jewish food I can think of because they had never had it and couldn't understand the traditions and couldn't, couldn't grasp the concept that Judaism is a culture, it's an ethnicity, it's a religion. And I kept saying, you know, you don't have any Catholic foods, do you? They're like, no. I said, but there are Jewish foods and that's what connects us. So they loved it, absolutely loved it. Yeah, that was very, very clear in the book. You know, I actually wrote myself a note and it's hard to imagine, but just in case, um, the same way when you visited whether it was Christian relatives or, or Mormons, and you had to explain to them that you're going to make challah, because you like the way I say it. Um, <laughs> if somebody doesn't know what challah is, how do you describe it? Forget about all the things you put into it. Just a plain what I have on a regular yep. Friday night. Yep. So, I, so you know what? I had somebody ask me yesterday, what is challah? And I'm like, okay, very simply broken down. The difference between challah and any other loaf of bread you buy. Number one, it's egg bread. And that's unusual anyway, because most breads do not have egg in them. So the, hence the yellow color and the, and the kind of buttery flavor. So that's number one. Number two, a challah isn't a challah unless it's braided. And it's supposed to be braided to, into 12, right? 12 humps, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Correct There's different customs. Is, right. My wife doesn't get close to 12. She has three braids, and that's about as far as it goes. Or okay. she just makes a big ball and puts it in the, in the uh, 9 by 13 and sticks it in the oven. I love that. Well, you can do, you know, for me, the traditional is the braided. And then I learned how to do different shapes. I mean, you, you, can, you can do anything with the dough. Once you've made the dough, you can make anything you want, and it's still challah. And it tastes, it's a very specific taste. When I created the different flavors of it, my aunt, who I love dearly, she said, Shari, this isn't challah. Challah doesn't have chocolate chips in it. And I said, why not? She said, look, this is the most delicious bread I've ever eaten and restaurants should carry it, but it's still not challah. 
And so we argued about it. I'm like, well, who says it has to be a certain way, which is to your point, it could be any shape. Can it be any flavor? Can it be any color? You know, if a Jew made it, is it challah? So, um, you know, traditionally, no, it doesn't have those things. But, hey, we're living in 2021. Why not? Why not? Uh, you know, it's so interesting because in my house, I love raisin challah. My mother always put raisins in, Rashana time. I loved it. And right. got married, kids came along, and they hate raisins. So what happens is, <laughs> so on a regular night, this is what happens the first night of Rosh Hashanah, and we're getting ready to dip our challah in honey. I have my little raisin challah, and everybody else has the regular one, and I save right. it for like a couple days, and I keep taking a slice or two because I'm the only one that likes the raisins. I get, I get requests for, for raisin, cinnamon, brown sugar, because, and, and I've mailed them to people, because they want to make French toast out of it. And it makes an amazing French toast because you've got, you know, and when I make it, I put all the ingredients in before the first rising of the bread. So it like really incorporates itself into the dough. And people ask me that. It's my, to be honest, and it's my least favorite flavor. I love raisins too. I love raisins in my brisket. I'm not such a fan of raisins in the challah, but it, it's it's a good one. I'm much more excited about, like, I make truffle challah, which is truffle salt and other ingredients and, and rosemary and herbs, and it's like heaven. I love that one. I love the savory ones, but the most favorite, the most asked for one is the chocolate challah. It's, it's like babka without the extra calories. Oh, I see. Right. I didn't even think of it that way. Right. My wife makes a yeah. separate babka. That's cake, even though sometimes you right. put enough sugar in it. So the challah also tastes like cake. But it's sort of like right. it's all traditional, right? The challah has to look this way. You want babka, that's right. dessert. Why? It's all made the same. It's all the same sugar. So the challah, the excuse is I can have my cake at the beginning of the meal. Uh, if I put chocolate in it, now it has to wait for the end of the meal. But okay, I, I, I get the picture of it. Listen, listen, Rabbi, I am a reconstructionist Jew, okay? There is nothing traditional about me. So I take the traditional stuff, which I love, and I mix in zany, crazy, nutty stuff so that I make make being Jewish really fun. I, I am the proudest. I'm so proud to be Jewish. I love that my book is Jewish. I love it because I couldn't have written anything that didn't have all this Judaism in it and this stuff. So I'm not traditional, but I'm certainly culturally right there with you. So right, yeah, yeah, I love it. So I wanted to ask, okay. so let's, let's talk about the book for a few minutes. So again, as, as you started out, you were, then the pandemic came, then we'll say you are, but you were a very successful entrepreneur working with the, with the, in the travel industry. And then right. the pandemic hit and things did go south for you. And you write about yeah. it pretty strongly in the book how you were spiraling. Um, how hard was it to write that kind of stuff that you're putting out in public for everybody to read? It's interesting that you asked that question because some people said, Shari, don't ever write this. It'll kill your business. Your clients will read it and think that you are mentally unstable, that your business isn't worth putting money into anymore, you know, all of this stuff. And the opposite happened because they felt, symp- not sympathy, they felt empathy and they, and they wanted to come to my rescue. Clients were calling me saying, what else can I give you to book? I I feel terrible and whatever. It wasn't hard to write because I'm not somebody who has secrets. I feel that it's, it's much better to be your authentic self and to expose it 
so that other people will look at you and say, oh my God, she's just as nutty as I am, or I, I understand how she felt. So it wasn't hard to write it, but it was hard to live through it. It was easier to write it later on, but living through the pain of feeling that my identity was being taken away from me because I, I built this business from nothing and it became very successful. And I felt like, well, who am I without by the sea? Am I, who am I? Will people still talk to me? Did they just want to talk to me because I was a successful business person? I mean, I felt all of these feelings, you know, like what, what, who, am I going to be relevant? And, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to write at all. I wrote it very quickly. As a matter of fact, I wrote the entire book in three weeks and three days. The first three days of writing was the first nine chapters of the book. Cause I had to remember everything that happened up until that meeting with my flower power friend. And then the last four, five chapters were written as I was living it. Um, so it was, it was finished very, very quickly and it was easy to write very easy to write. And then I added even more damaging stuff. <laughs> After the fact, I added in childhood stuff and abuse by a boss and, and other stuff about me that I thought, you know what, if people can't handle it, that's their problem. I hope people will read it and say, wow, she's, she's overcome a lot of stuff to become who she is. So, you know, easy to put out there for me. You know, I like how you said that you weren't, you felt as your business was uh was non-existent obviously because you couldn't go on a cruise um you wanted to know who you were like if i don't have my business what am i and which is a little bit is like a sad question because there's so much to a person that has nothing to do with their business or their livelihood but sometimes we get so involved in our business we don't even realize that that we are much more than just how we make a few dollars well true Yes, but if you if you dig into this book and you see what my childhood was like, I was a very insecure, um, unvalidated, yearning for the love of certain people in my life kind of girl. I was I was never I had a whole different life than maybe my my kids or other people's kids where I just felt lost and I felt like I had to prove myself. So creating the business after not being taken seriously and being told I was a bulldog and a pain in the neck. And, you know, I was never given positive reinforcement. I was just everybody's pain in the neck um, to create this business and be well respected in my industry meant so much to me. And true, there were so many other facets to me, but that's where I made my my livelihood and that's what made me successful. And I held on to that. And I had a company of, of five people counting on me to because they had families and they needed an income and i just felt like i was failing them and it was just hard it wasn't even like i you know the business will shut down and oh my god i can't feed myself that was not it it was what if the business shuts down who will i be in the morning and what will i do next and and like because i love what i do that was that was so such a passion of mine it wasn't just a job it was a calling now people become clergy, it's a calling. I became the founder of this company and it became a calling to me and I didn't want to lose that. So it was, yeah, I mean, now I don't work the way I used to work. Business has come back. I'm spending a lot of time talking about the book 
and I'm doing business and business is back. We're okay. I didn't lay anybody off. We're all there, but my work-life balance has changed dramatically and I have a sense of worth far beyond what by the sea gave me. So this was the best thing. Now, I think COVID was really bad for a lot of people and it was horrible for me, but it was one of the best lessons I, I learned and one of the best things that's happened to me. So sometimes you need tragedy to have triumph. And I had tragedy and it's okay, you know, first world problems, you know, but, but it turned out to be pretty good. And I'm finding there's a lot of people, again, there was a lot of suffering and, and a lot of people uh, died and people are still sick, but there's no question that there's a lot of people out there that because, because of everybody being stuck at home and kids being at home and the whole learning system changed, uh, I had children in my class who would much rather be in bed, you know, lying down, listening to the phone, and all of a sudden they were focusing. It, it was just a... It's been an eye-opener for a lot of people to actually discover who and what they are and to be able to take a step back. Again, I'm not wishing this should happen every once in a while for people to get this lesson. But it is fascinating how many people you talk to um, really, really were able to, to, I don't want to say make something, so just discover who and what they really are because yeah. they were locked up at home. Or not everybody locked it's up, like some traveled. Well Right. It's like the Broadway people who discover that they have a talent for, for decorating, for rearranging, fla arranging flowers or or costume designers who realize that they can make clothing for handicapped people, you know, make custom clothing or, you know, it's people that looked and said, I have time that I never had before. I never knew I could write a book. I always loved to write, but I didn't have the time to sit there. This took you can't even imagine what energy this took to write it, to edit it, to re-edit it, to find the pictures to use in it, to talk to the um, to talk to the publisher, to get a publicist, to, to to talk, get to know her. I mean, this was all consuming, and I could never have done this in my in my last life, right? In my you know work and travel and be on a ship and work with clients and do contracts, and there's no way. So it was a blessing. And I will tell you, my rabbi, Rabbi Andrew Jacobs, who I adore, says to me all the time, Shari, there are no coincidences in life. There aren't any. And I believe him because this wasn't a coincidence. Like this happened for a reason for me. And I call it, I, I don't call it God because I'm, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm one of those, you know, I question God. I believe there's a power, but I call it my lucky star. Because something, someone, somehow, some energy follows me around, and I, don't, I hope I don't sound nutty, but something is up there, out there, that kind of spins me in the right direction. So when something happens to me, I always think, okay, there's a reason for this. I don't know what it is yet, but if I just breathe and think about what's going to happen, it might be really freaking awesome. So I don't know, I'm always grateful. I'm very grateful. For even the bad stuff. I, I, I love your message. Of course, coming from me, the message is that there is a God and he is pulling the strings yeah. and he is opening a second door. Big time speaker, uh, motivational, just a comedian, right. whatever you really want. It's all amazing. <laughs> so, and the time, by the way, has flown by. So I. What? 
Time is flying, he says. We are just about done. So here's what you're going to do for me. And I don't know how many seconds they're giving me left. Um, They're giving me one minute left. So you can leave us with a message. And, of course, you can tell us how to get the book. If you can get the book. Okay, you can go to www.fromhelltohala.com. You can go to Amazon. You can get it all over the place. It's online. The message is sit back, breathe, be authentic. That's big time. Be authentic and find your challah. Find something that speaks to you. And even if you're busy now, find a little bit of time to do it. Because look, let's be honest, this was a pandemic. Something may happen in the future that that also shuts us down for a day, for two days, for a year. Find something you can attach yourself to that keeps you going. Do that because it'll be really good for your soul. And my, my last thing is I have this little tagline, which is Hallelujah. So it's, it's my, it, yeah. So hallelujah. Thank you so very much for taking the time to chat with me. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm sorry it flew by so quickly. I loved it. Oh, don't be sorry. That's what it's all about. Sherry Wallach, author from Hell to Challah. Pick up the book. The music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David and Kelsey in the back. I hope I have less with some food for thought. Or challah. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzu Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. With things from far.